But I think Ghost have found the one uh, real world application, application of, blockchain of blockchain technology yeah. is har- harnessing fear. Yep. Yeah. I think it wasn't the moral of Monsters Inc. that actually laughter is more powerful for yes. Yes. Than, yeah. It was. It was a very nice message. But, yeah. But I don't know. I think that's not true in, in the real world, though. I think it's still mostly just fear. Scotch. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 175 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast, Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, and I'm a spooky ghost. I'm Sam, and I'm secretly a dog. <laughs> and this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is Octobertron T9. Mm. Otherwise known as Halloween. Well, Halloween's two days from the time we record. Yep. But it's today. But it's today. <laughs> According to listeners. Like, yeah. Uh, also, before we get started, we have a warning. Anything could happen on this show. There's going to be profanity, and we're going to talk about adult uh, topics. It's going to get real spooky, too, because it's Halloween. Yep. So, so children uh, are easily spooked, as we all know, mm-hmm. and they should definitely not listen because yep. of uh, on account of the spookiness yep. Yep. factor. All right. Let's get on to uh, our Ko-Fi supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. We'd like to thank Alex R.C., uh, who's a uh, new supporter who said, couldn't make it out to Shenanicon, but I hope it's a blast. Alex it in Connecticut. So thank you very much. Uh, we also have several recurring supporters we'd like to thank. So thank you guys thanks, for, thanks. for keeping uh, keeping our microphones on. All right, on to studio news. Uh, all right, so let's talk about Shenanicon. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. It's a Shenanicon. Big. No, we don't want to talk about the actual elephant in the room. No, because we also own an elephant. Now. No, we're not talking about that. That's we're going to talk about the other yeah. elephant in the room. Okay, which is Shenanigan. Gotcha. How did it go? How was it? What happened? Okay, what? even. I mean, I guess everybody heard it. Kind of. We did. Week. Yeah, we did the live episode, uh, which was awesome. I'm, all of our voices were absolutely destroyed. So yeah. I don't know if, don't know if you could tell listening. I think it was a little bit, you know, a little rough. We were hoarse. Yeah, because uh, we were getting things organized. For the shenanigan, so we were talking and talking and talking for several hours before the convention started, and then we had a half hour of mingling with everybody, mm-hmm. talk, 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 then gave a talk for thirty minutes, then podcast. Uh, so that was there's a lot of chat, brutal on the on the old cords. Yeah, uh, it was a lot of fun though. Yeah, it was great. It was so fun yeah. to meet people. We had people from just all over the place. People from Florida and Texas and Michigan. Um, it was kind of just kind of wild, yeah. you know. I mean, who can be like, yeah? People, people came from those places to come just see what we got going on and yeah. hang out for a day. It was super fun, very fun. Um, so we uh, we do have it in the in the plans already. Shenanacon two is in motion. So we had we had enough fun that we were like, we maybe haven't figured out exactly how to make money off this yet, but we're gonna figure it out next well, year. Well, yeah, the goal <laughs> is to stop losing money first. Yes, and then. Break even. Yeah, and one of our attendees did ask. They were like, "You guys can't be making money off this." Like, I just know from the from the ticket price and everything that's going on. They're like, "There's no way." And I was like, "Correct, that's, that's correct. <laughs> you have done the math." Yeah, but uh, he's like, "What you know? What's it for?" And I was like, "Well, you know, just trying to figure it out, do an experiment, so that when we want to do like a big, big, big version of something like this, that it's both understood and possible." So uh, next year, we already have like sort of all of our kit and stuff ready to go, and um, it's going to be yeah, so. The plan easier. at the moment is to do a very similar thing. Same time of year, um, so that we'll have the dates coming out probably in the beginning of the new year. Mm-hmm. And we also got, I think, another sort of one of the reasons that we wanted to do the Shenanicon is because 
so much of what we do with the podcast, with Discord, with the blog, et cetera, this is all like these are all public archives mm-hmm. of information that we're putting out there. And one of the things that we've always wanted to do for our hardcore fans is give them secrets yeah. that nobody else has and let them see kind of how things work behind the scenes in the studio, uh, maybe give them early access previews to things that other people may not know yet. Uh, and so we can't, of course, announce secrets on the podcast anything, or anything because yeah. it's not a secret anymore. Yep. Um, and so we, we were able to do some of that. So we had some special announcements and, and things. And one of those will actually be announced publicly tomorrow. tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Your tomorrow, Your tomorrow listeners. Tomorrow, Thursday. Thursday. They're just this Thursday. Thursday yes. Yeah. Yeah. Once the spookiness has subsided, then the announcement will come. Yeah, out. we didn't yeah. want to. We had some big news, but we thought people are too scared right now, uh-huh. and we didn't want people yeah. to miss it. Mm-hmm. So it's coming out after the October after. is done. Yeah. Uh, so keep an eye out for they're that. The ghosts, they're back in their graves or wherever ghosts go, basements, under beds. I think you they know. just kind of go wherever they want. They're ghosts, you know. Yeah, but they they do kind of come out in mass, you know. During that's true. During, during this time, spook season. Yeah. What do you think? That's why? Why is that? They're like a migratory wait, wait, wait. flock. It's did, basically like a conference, I think. You know, did so we, just like all the game developers go to GDC and you know, mm, all the, the ghosts are out there. Like, hey, you going to Halloween this year? Yeah, you going exactly. to Halloween? Yeah. Like, here's, here's my <laughs> twenty slide deck about how to optimize the spook rate in yeah. your house, such that you know you can withdraw as much fear from your user base as possible. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's all about that user experience. It's it all is. about it's all about engagement, long term mm-hmm. spook factor. Yep. Yep. I wonder, yeah, so they must, they must like share tips about like, yeah, you know, what you want to do is, you know, because there's all these different schools of thought uh-huh. of how to spook people. Sure. Yep. Uh, you know, maybe it's just something like, oh, you it's know, like some spook up front, you know, there might be it's like. true. You want to just hit them once real big and then just now you're just, yeah. that's it, you yeah. know, one or, big spook. Right. Or, or, you know, maybe you just want like a recurring, you know, sort of like a spook subscription where it's like. Yep. Once a day when somebody looks away and then they look back, you have slightly moved something uh-huh. that they were just interacting with, you know, mm-hmm. and that's just very kind of mildly spooky over a long period of time. Yep. Yep. Uh, and that kind of maximizes your lifetime spook. It does. Factor, yeah. you know. But uh, you also have to be much more <laughs> likely to have someone fall out. You know, there's a spook funnel, right? And people are going to fall out. Yeah, because at some point people are like, this is too spooky. And then they uh-huh. move and they leave. Yeah, uh, Or they're like, you know, this, it's. It's just it just continues going on in the same way forever. Yeah, like I just this, need something new. Yeah, I'm yeah. not spooked anymore because it's just I'm I'm used to it mm-hmm. now. You know, I know that every time I turn away, a book will have moved on the shelf or something, and it's just not really getting. It's funny. I think it's a big part now. of it is you know not being 100 percent consistent with your spookiness is actually one of the keys to being spooky. Yeah, this is yeah. why this is why procedurally generated surprise. spookiness mm-hmm. is really kind of falling out of favor mm-hmm. because when you randomize your spookiness. Uh, using a just a generic formula, then it kind of just comes out the same. As this you weird know, sort people of like see the patterns. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. So you want to get those spook surprises. That's yeah. how you, that's how you keep jump scares. Because otherwise, yeah, if it's just jump scare after jump scare, then you know you're expecting it now. Yeah, exactly. it's like being in a haunted house. You know, yeah. you can only do it for like thirty minutes, and you're like, okay, I'm done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So hopefully, maybe this year, uh, you know, we'll see some new. Some new spook models. Some good innovation. Coming and, out. Yeah. In spookization. Yeah, because um, yeah, yeah. the industry is really, 
Really, it's real hot right now. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Things are taking off. Especially right now. <laughs> we got some spooky VR. It's like kind of the big one right now. Yep. Yeah. Sp- spooky blockchain. Going on the spook chain. Spook chain. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of innovation happening, but yeah. we just haven't really seen it applied, you know, super effectively. Yeah. Yet, yeah I mean, so. it's, it's just kind of hard to actually apply it on a broad scale right away. Yeah. You know, it takes it, it is. takes some time to percolate through. We have things like you know, Monsters Inc. was an example of this, where uh-huh. they you know they captured they, fear screams. Yeah, they use children's use screams to power their yep. cities. So I'm sure that you know someone's trying to put fear on the blockchain like how can i generate you know maximum spooks and then put them on the blockchain and then move those actually this around. is probably really good for ghosts because i assume that ghosts use use fear as a currency but yeah. i think before the blockchain it was probably really hard to get some sort of uh of uh you know well, you, there's no guarantee of uniqueness exactly. like somebody gets scared and you're like yeah but how do i know that 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 tariff you know that emotion wasn't stolen from somebody mm-hmm. else right. you know uh, you don't know. So put it on the blockchain. Put yeah. it on the blockchain. I think we. I think we've actually. I think Ghost have found the one uh, real world application, application of blockchain, blockchain technology yeah. is harnessing fear. Yep. Yeah. I Pretty think it wasn't the moral of Monsters Inc. that actually laughter is more powerful for yes. Yes. Than, yeah. It was. It was a very nice message. But, yeah. But. I, I don't know. I think that's not true in, in the real world, though. I think it's still mostly just fear. <laughs> fear is pretty powerful. Yeah. yeah. In terms of spooky stuff, I had, a, I had some spooky dreams last night. Usually I don't remember my dreams Ooh. at all, but for some reason my dreams were all very tornado-themed. Okay. We so, chatted a little bit about tornadoes yesterday. So yeah, I was telling yeah. my wife. Yeah, I think, I think that's where it came from. I was talking about That's wife. called an Iowa ghost. Exactly. But I was, yeah. I was telling <laughs> They're just giant. A big, ghosts. loud Iowa ghost. Yeah. Uh, but I was telling my wife about them this morning because and, and, uh, I was pretty amused because the first one, uh, I was on a four wheeler um, or an ATV for, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what people call these normally. So I was on an ATV. Uh, I think my wife might've been on the back. I can't remember for sure, but we were just, we were driving down the road. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was looking ahead and all of a sudden I saw that kind of the faint outlines, basically a ghost, right? But the faint outlines of something. And also I saw cars getting flung off the road. And then I realized it was like a little mini tornado that was just coming right down the road. Uh-huh. So I was like, fuck. And so I you know, made a hard left turn and just, Went off of the road as far as I could, and then kind of looked behind me, stopped, and then watched Jeez. the tornado pass by. Oh, okay. And it was fine. Because as again, long as you're not actually touching it, you're not affected by yeah, the then wind. Yeah, you're fine. Exactly. Yeah. So then I, before I got left to get back on the road, I looked back, and there was just some dude staring at me. So it was like a little bit of a switch up, you know. So it was so kind of a G man situation. But he's more like a, he was more like he was like a farmer or something who was just you know like maybe I was on his property. I don't know. But then he started chasing me. Oh. Just like running, like a fucking dead sprint. Maybe the tornado turned into a man. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't know what happened. So then I'm like, what the fuck? So then I, you know, floor it and get back on the on the road. But somehow he's like really catching up to me, even though I'm just. Well, you didn't really floor fast. it. You thumbed it. I thumbed it exactly. Yeah, you're driving an ATV. Yeah, it's an ATV. And uh, so I'm just flooring it, and then and he somehow he's still running fast as he gets up alongside me. Ah. So then. Oh shit. So then I kick him. <laughs> okay. Except <laughs> that, I, but then I kicked in real life and woke myself up. <laughs> Well, he was scary enough to get you back in your body. Yeah, that's like, wild. Some somehow, like me kicking his his incorporeal form, you know, mm. brought me. This back is going to be the new. So you know how there's like these uh, Slender Man. Yeah, well, there's like there's Slender Man, and then I think there's that one guy who lives in people's dreams. Yeah, it's uh, Freddy Krueger. Yeah, I think. so mm. I think maybe the farmer is going to be the it's next the tornado farmer. That's the tornado. The tornado farmer. It's the <laughs> next <laughs> big spooky thing that's coming. Yeah, it was. Uh, my but dream. it's funny because I just like I was just kind of annoyed that I woke myself up, so I wasn't actually spooked when I woke up, despite everything it about spooky. it. Yeah, it should have been spooky. Yeah, I, uh, my dream last night was that I was hopping planets for some reason. We stop at this planet, and everyone's like, "It's really beautiful down there, super lush. Just don't look at the goats. There's these goats. Just don't look at them." And I was like, <laughs> "Okay." So I go down there. You're, how do you know not to? 
how do you know where not to look until you look to well, know that's where the they exactly are? Problem. So I'm just, I'm so just this is a problem with Slender Man, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So I'm just like wandering through this like this very beautiful tropical sort of jungle, and then this and it's a goat technically in terms of like shape, but it does not feel like a good. It's very alien goat. But I accidentally look it in the eyes, and then it its eyes glow super bright, and then it starts shooting lasers. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to run away while it was like. <laughs> It was like alternating like an AT-AT sort of yes. just like shooting laser blasts toward me. It was, was it making those noises like pew, 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 pew. <laughs> no, it was just walking slowly, chewing and shooting and lasers. Shooting lasers. I guess if you could do that, you wouldn't really need to chase anybody. or no, really got lasers. Yeah. So it, just, it was just ha- still hanging out, chewing yep. and eating just very nonchalant. Yeah, it's like, I'll just be standing here until you die. I'm just going to hang out and just laser you with my laser goat eyes. Yep. So, okay. Mm-hmm. This is all very spooky stuff. I'm glad we got that out of the way. Yeah, watch out. Uh, otherwise, studio news. Levelhead is not coming out in November. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. Uh, Surprise. So we we set that launch target a few months ago, actually. Um, mm-hmm. And it was a pretty ambitious it- target, but also it was based purely on sort of what was in the game at that yeah. time. So this is something that this routinely happens, which is that uh, – you know, and the iterative nature of how we how we build games in particular is is very prone to this, which is that you think you're going to be done because you think you know exactly what's in the game, and then and then something happens and you come up with something new. And well, so, you, hit, you hit a decision point where you say like, okay, with this new idea, this new thing that if we put it in is going to it changes everything, mm-hmm. right? And it's going to make the game stand out in all kinds of amazing ways. Uh, it's going to solve all these problems that the current version of the game has, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. We could just go ahead and launch it anyway, like without this new idea and hit our target, or we could take the extra time, get this thing hooked up, and whenever yeah. it's done, it's done, right? So, yeah, so it's not done. So we opted for that second. We're, yeah, we're just deal. saying a vague 2019 sometime at this time. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. yeah uh, it better come out 2019. Yeah. This is, yeah. This is one of those. This is one of those really positive delays in the sense yeah. that the sh- we're not even going to – we're not going to announce oh, yeah. what it is that we are putting in the game It's because right we stumbled onto something awesome, and so we just have to do it. Yeah. We, it's going to take a while. We had the conversation a couple weeks ago about implementing this mystery feature, and it came down to like there's no way that this could work because like this is so fucking weird compared <laughs> to what we've seen in other games like this. Uh, other platformers mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, but we decided to prototype it anyways. So in about a day and a half, we had a you know, vaguely working prototype of this weird idea. And it was way better even than we could have anticipated. And now this changes everything. And now we've got us. So now we're stuck. Yeah. So we're keeping it. We're keeping it uh, low key. We're not announcing it until we have something more concrete to show. Mm-hmm. Um, but just know that it's going to. It'll be good. It'll take a while. Socks are going to fly right off, mm-hmm. yeah. right off of your pants. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, let's talk about Fallout 76. Let's do it. I want to know about it because I don't. So Seth knows nothing about this. So some of our users <laughs> might know about it, our podcast listener. Sorry. Um, all right, what is Fallout generally? Fallout generally is a franchise that takes place in a dystopian future that was essentially frozen in the 1950s, but also has very rad technology. But it's very heavy yeah. technology. Well, it's basically because there was a nuclear apocalypse in the 50s. Correct. 
Everybody went into underground bunkers. Called vaults. Called vaults, uh, maintained by the company Vault Tech. Mm-hmm. And then some number of years later, these start to open and people go back out into the to whatever the world is and They generally call it the wasteland. The wasteland. Right. Pretty and then the wasteland is covered, covered in scorpions, giant mm-hmm. scorpions, giant bees. Bandits, yeah. mutants. Uh, everything is giant now. Yeah, that's one of the, the except, good side effects of- Everything's giant now except for people explosions. who are wrinkly. Yeah. Yes. Yes, there are very wrinkly people involved in this yeah. whole thing. Um, but yeah, so Fallout 76 is the newest game in this series of games. And all of the previous ones have been very large single-player experiences where you are you, are you wandering the wastes. Huge you, campaign. You wake huge, up huge in a massive story. Yeah. Exactly. And this newest one uh, is a bit of a departure because they made it so that instead of just you being you out in the wasteland doing your thing, uh, you're actually on a server with – a bunch of randos. So you're out there in an open world environment that's basically built the same way as the previous ones, apparently from what they, from what I've heard about it. Same quest structure sort of things. Not really much changes actually to the fundamental nature of the thing. Um, but there are tons of other people, real human people running around. Mm-hmm. And I believe they can just talk on voice chat if you're nearby. Yeah, I think so. So cool. Which is already this, a terrible feature. That so. sounds like a I, recipe I assume for there's the option to turn that off because that was literally the first thing that I will do. I hope so. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I wanted to talk a little bit about it because I think it's a, it's a really interesting departure for a series that's been extremely successful in a particular way. And then to say, hey, we're going to turn this basically into an MMO. Like it's essentially yeah, what well, in particular into, uh, into a survival game because now people are going to be murdering each other. Yes. Right? Uh, so it's going to feel – I mean it sounded to me like it would feel more like something like Rust mm-hmm. than – it would be like Fallout combined with Rust or something, mm-hmm. which is not – the kind of experience that I would be looking forward to necessarily. Well, and one of the things that made the original series of Fallout games really cool and interesting was that because it's a single player game, you're going against known quantities. You know, you're going against known things in the environment. And so you can play through the same game multiple times and you can try really dumb stuff mm-hmm. and try to make it work. Because even if you're like, I'm just going to punch things, yep. like I'm going to punch everything and I'm going to try to get like this weird power fist item and et cetera, et cetera. And you, you know that for the most part, that's pretty suboptimal, right? Like it's probably better to just mm-hmm. like shoot stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's so dumb that it's fun, yes. right? One of the things that having a, having a sort of an MMO or a multiplayer slant to things is that if you have to do things with a group of people at any point, then people will try to take the person who is not playing like an idiot. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah. They'll <laughs> take anybody Even else. though it's way more fun to play uh-huh. like an idiot. But also presumably that there, there are certain play styles that are really classic in that kind of game, like like heavy sneak, which is what I always go with, right? Yeah. Which, um, how are you going to sneak? Yeah, it only works because you can yeah. just tell AI is not to see you, right? Right. Uh, but when it comes to other players, like they're not going to make you invisible, so they'll just they'll just look at your crouch and like walk around as if it as if you're invisible. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the, but other players will just see you the whole time, right? Yeah, so it'll so completely change unless the, they the don't. Unless you actually do just like crouch and then you're just gone. Which yeah, is maybe because awesome. you have that little radar thing, you know, that on the UI. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe like that'll still have you not show up or something. Yeah. But well, the, yeah. the interesting thing I read, so I read a few. They had a basically a big open beta. Some of the people have actually gotten to hop in and play it. Yeah, and I think only on Xbox. Yes, and uh, I read a few of the sort of general takes on it, and the general feeling that that I got from it was essentially that actually one of the things that's really special about the Fallout games is the tone, which is it is this dystopian thing. It's very dark, but also like there's really good writing and very good humor, and mm-hmm. the quest's really fun. It's basically a dark comedy. Yeah, but you can imagine if you were if you're watching a dark comedy, and then the audience members 
yeah, randomly would just like say shit or talk about their day loudly, loudly enough for you to hear it in the middle of this, or uh, in the case right, of, cause what, of the voice, because the voice chat thing, yeah. someone was describing like they go, they went into a vault, which is usually very exciting because you get to like each vault was actually secretly an experiment of some sort by this company, yeah. and so each one has its own like little weird story. And yeah, so you normally you go to you go to a computer terminal and it's you know you read emails sent by one person to the person inside the vault. Yeah, you so like slowly piece together, together the puzzle, and then you'll find horrifying things. Like there yeah. was this one vault that was just full of the same person named Gary. Yeah, and there was For, just like numbers. Uh, like Gary 1, Gary 2, all the way up to like Gary 50 or like that. <laughs> yep. And so you're just fighting a bunch of Garys and all they do is they say, Gary! With <laughs> and so it's just a vault of clones. And so and every so like often, a there's one with plant people. Yeah. So every so yeah. often, like you come in with these things and it's just weird and fun. Uh, but someone was describing, they, they walked in and then two other people walked in behind them. And those two people started, of course, looting everything. So, you know, you go to the drawers, you check to see if there's any ammo. Um, and then they went and did it and also got ammo. And they said like the, the immersion breaking was so hard yep. on it and then it also made it so it was just it was just weird because they were sort of like trying to keep up with these people but also like they really actually wanted to be there for the story so it doesn't seem to actually jive effectively so this, yeah this I'm is, really curious this, this is an interesting uh thing that i've been I've, I've been as you guys know i've been playing wow since it came out in 2004 mm-hmm. and one of the reasons that i that i got into the idea of game design to begin with was was watching blizzard deploy patches to this game and then seeing the fallout oh. of those of those design decisions and how they affected uh, player behavior and community stuff like that, and even things like uh, if you have a what's supposed to be an online persistent world, this was to create the feeling of people being in the same space. But then you put things in the world that violate those rules, like oh, these people just emptied out a drawer, and now I go and loot it, and it's full again yep. because we each have our own drawer, magical right. version of the drawer. Um, so you have these these sort of like multiplayer forgiveness mechanics to make it so that people don't have to interact and don't actually have to talk to each other, then it completely kills like the whole point of, of it being a shared Mm. universe. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was, I was telling Adam this over the weekend as I was playing uh, like vanilla style. Wow. Over this past weekend and I'm running up and I see this sack. It's like for a quest that I'm supposed Mm. to like pick up these five sacks or whatever. I run up, I'm about to pick up the sack and a harpy, Comes running in, she's like, and starts like hitting uh-huh. me in the face with claws. And now I can't pick up the sack because every time I try to, interrupts it you. gets interrupted, right? So I'm like, I'm trying to pick up the sack. I got to eventually fight this harpy. So as I'm fighting this harpy, I'm battling, battling, and I'm really oh, low no. level and I'm weak and it's taking forever. And then this troll warrior comes, <gasps> comes running up and he just kind of like, tur- he, he turns, he, look at you? he looks at me, he sees me, and he turns back to the sack. He turns back and I'm like, don't, don't you fucking, don't you do, fucking it. do it, buddy. <laughs> He goes, he takes the sack, oh. and he leaves. I'm like, yes. <laughs> so then, so I, I, I battle the harpy. I'm like, it's okay. It's fine. Harpy's like, dead. We're still yeah, here. I'm still good. Uh-huh. Uh, there's plenty of sacks to go around, but still, di- total dick move. Plenty of sacks in the sea. But, but the point here is that, like, this, this changed something, right? So, like, his behavior actually changed something about my experience. Right. Because then, about 15 minutes later, I'm at another end of this harpy canyon, and who do I see come running up, being attacked by three harpies at once? Oh. This troll. Guess who's not getting any help yeah, today? Because no. guess who's a healer? Me. With a single press of a button. Did you just look at him? And I look looked at, at him. I typed slash nod. So am I just like, <laughs> my character's just like, you nod at this guy. And then he just gets killed by these three harpies. And I'm like, 
Yeah, guess who gets all the sacks now, this buddy? Is the, right? <laughs> yeah, this is the small town effect. Of exactly, sharing of space. Yeah, and, and this this is this is the magic of of having these persistent shared universes is that everybody pools into the same resources, right? Mm-hmm. And so everything that you do, even in really small ways, spills out into other people's game experience. Yeah. And as soon as you undo those mechanics and like make it so that everybody might as well just be by themselves. Then why, like, what's the... Well, yeah, that's, that's sort of... The now you're just playing a single-player game and you have to listen to weirdos yelling That was the vibe. You know? <laughs> which is like, yeah, now it's it's just Fallout, but with weird interruptions from humans. Yeah. Was, yeah. And I was like, I nothing about this ends up appealing to me, but I'll probably still play it, of course, because Yeah, I, 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 I know they were talking about maybe doing private servers and stuff so you could, like, run your own or something. But, I doubt there. I mean... Because it would be like, if I could sit down, because my wife also loves the Fallout well, series. Yeah, playing Fallout multiplayer with... A, Precisely with your you friends. Know. Yeah, that would probably be even then awesome. though. Even then though, because if nothing you do requires real communication, you know, true. yeah, because like yeah, but it is still more like because normally it's like when a new fall comes out, my wife and I will just like we'll go up into into the office and then we'll just she'll sit at her desk, I'll sit at my desk, and we'll just play Fallout like the whole fucking weekend, right? Mm-hmm. Which of course is also great. We talk about what we're up to and whatever. But if we got to st- if we got to play sort of in sync in sync with each other yeah. um even even though there's there's these sort of things that violate stuff right in terms of uh yeah, the immersion fun. i still think it would be a huge a hugely good time yeah, strangers are not friends though you know no. so so yeah I, well and if if the game systems don't force strangers to become friends then mm-hmm. you're just surrounded by strangers literally the whole time you're playing a game. yeah well i think yeah. a lot of that is uh is if you're not intending to have a social experience with a game or you're not intending to get like really into it yeah then the overhead of having to socialize in order to you know get loot out in the world or whatever because i think for a lot of people play multiplayer games basically as a single player um and uh, this is true for like diablo also right where Mm -hmm. you just want you want to go and you want to rank up you want to do your stuff and uh and so it always feels like people are taking things away from you you know it always feels like Mm -hmm. it's a problem that other people are there unless you have this sort of shared you know, loot system or, or whatever. Um, and I think it's only those hardcore players who are really in there for the social experience and for right. the, for the deep immersion that are, that who want to put in that effort and that work to like, to get in there and really just, I, I don't know. Out. I think honestly, my, my experience has been the opposite that it's the hardcore players who want only single player because they want to go as fast as they can without other people bogging them down without being slowed down by like having to find a group to do something, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Um, because they just want to go as fast as possible, right? And oftentimes, what I like, what I've seen is that a lot of people in MMOs will want to play because they can just like it's almost like going to the bar, right? If they get out. they get to log in and hang out. They're going at their own pace every now and then. They be like, "Oh, this thing is super hard. Anybody want to join me with this?" And other people are like, "Sure," because Why it's not? fine, you know, because because you just group up for stuff. And so even if you're bad at the game or you don't really know a lot about the game, you overcome the game's obstacles by just the nature that you have friends playing the game, right? Yeah. So instead of having when to you like, have friends play the game, right. I'm talking about that initial experience when you don't know anybody. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are assholes, right? Because I know, I know like forever ago and I played Diablo 2 a lot, um, like as a kid, basically. Uh, I remember trying to trying to like get into the to the multiplayer part because you know you'd go somewhere that people would just like take all the gold or take all the loot or whatever always be like right in front of you grabbing all the stuff yeah. because there was no shared during boss system. fights you had to be right next to the boss because yeah. the boss was a fountain of loot and then whoever was closest yeah. just but, just but, but again this it, right? but this is all reinforced by mechanics because I, I I could say that you know aside from this this troll who I let die uh, I've interacted <laughs> I interacted with 
several hundred players over the weekend and every single one of those interactions was very positive. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so like even, even something like you come across a, a quest area, like oh, I'm supposed to defeat this, this quest mob. It's super hard. And also it's on a 10 minute respawn timer. So it's not even there because somebody's recently defeated it. So I come up there and somebody else is there and they're like, Hey, like oh, we're on the same quest. Like you want to, you want to join up? I'm mm-hmm. like, hell yeah. And then a third person comes in like, Hey guys, what's going on? And then it's like a sitcom. We got a th- yeah. We yeah. got a three person group, you know? And then eventually you've got like three groups of five all waiting for this, this thing to respawn. And everybody's having a conversation like, Oh, were you guys here first? It's fine. We're like, we'll wait. And everybody kind of like forms <laughs> a line, you know, to do this thing. And it, but it is that it is because of the mechanical reinforcement of the social interaction, which is everybody's playing on the same server. Yeah. And in a game like Diablo, it's a huge pool of millions of players, right? Yep. Uh, so the or, worlds aren't the worlds aren't uh, synced. So yeah. You're so not, if you, don't you come in the same place, yeah. So you run up, you you join somebody's boss run, and you steal their loot, and you leave, and they're never gonna see you again. Yep. You know, and that's just it, right? It's the like, hey, I'm walking here, like that. Yeah. That like you know New York uh, cliche, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I I do think that not all online experiences are equal, and it's kind no, of, of it's kind of up to the game designers to recognize that their design decisions completely affect how people are going to treat one another. Yeah. Well, and I think having a, a instance loot um, is probably the easiest way to not have to design the game around your multiplayer Correct. experience. So that if you're saying this is a, sort of like Diablo three with, with its, it's what it sounds like to me. Yeah. Full instance loot. We're basically like Diablo three is, is effectively a single player experience, right? Cause it doesn't really matter that there are other people there. Um, and because, of course, they also scale the difficulty as you add players. And so so in the end, kind of it all comes out the same. Yeah. And I know my experience playing that with with my wife was that I was just bored basically the whole time. Yeah. Because um, everything everything's always scaling with you. And you know, I mean, it's just it's a it's just a, it was a weird experience then because of the loot. The loot was then not shared because it was yeah, you don't, you don't ever have to Diablo. talk about that. And also you yeah. like you wouldn't even see some great item drop for for her yeah and and then be happy about happy for her that she got this awesome thing yeah, she would just have to tell me that she got she would tell awesome. you about it you're like i don't know what that is because yeah, right? like, <laughs> you, you can still get loot for other classes and stuff so yeah. then we would still like go split up loot in town and, and right. do that sort of thing you but know? it's rarer actually too yeah it's, yeah yeah and, and, and i think that that especially in a game like diablo or something where so much of the game is about the loot actually yeah. that is the whole game yeah. basically to take that and remove it's that loot box, the game. Yeah. Like every monster you kill is just a little miniature loot box. Right? Yep. Like, which you're not paying for, thankfully. Uh, <laughs> but, but because the loot was very social as well in Diablo two, which mm-hmm. is, because um, it had to be. Cause I when my wife and I played that one, we'd be like, we'd be working on each one of us would have a weapon with some slots in it, you know, mm-hmm. that we, that we'd found that we really liked. And we'd be, we'd be working on, you know, splitting up our gems that we would each kind of have an equal share. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and, and so but there's we also, there's game. also a layer of, of trust. We're like, it means something to play with somebody who you trust yep. because a great item drops for you and they're not going to fucking run up and Uber snatch it. it. Like a vacuum. Yeah. yeah. And so, so by, by stripping away the player's uh, ability to do bad stuff like that, you also strip away the ability for players to, for, for trust to, to even matter. Yeah. Right. Well, they would. But in some, but if the game design doesn't allow for trust to develop, yeah. Because it's, it's not basically shared. Right. It's your only option, right? You know? Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, really you, you can kind of see how these cascading things come into play. Yeah, right? I think I think I think you're right that if if Fallout 76 had private servers, so you could just play with friends, and then had non-instance loot, so everybody had to like negotiate, divvy it up. Um, so, yeah, then that, that would actually that would that would make it a very fun part of the experience is mm-hmm. is playing because because Fallout is also all about the loot. 
Yeah. It is. Yeah. Well, really yeah, because there's a lot of there's a lot of mechanics that I've seen creeping into various uh, online games like Diablo three. Actually, I mean, a lot Blizzard has kind of taken this philosophy toward their online games of of always making it so that it doesn't truly matter whether other people are there. Yeah. Right. So your character in Diablo three should always be able to do everything to maximum effectiveness. And if, if, if depending on your class, it just kind of changes like what animations you see while you're one shotting everything. It's right? a flavor. Choice, yeah, more so it's a flavor choice. Um, and then like as more players enter, the enemies get sort of like mildly stronger, but they're still not really that strong and it's fine. Um, and you see the same thing with uh, with creatures in World of Warcraft. Now, as you level up, they level up with you. And so oh, your know. gear no longer makes you stronger than other things. And so so the world no longer oh, feels like a world. The world a bummer. Yeah, the world feels it like a that. game because if it if it was a persistent world that was trying to like be a realistic place, then things are what they are. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you can like see, you can fight a thing like, Oh, that was way too hard. I'm going to go get stronger and like come, come back. back and fight yeah. it. But then now everything scales to be just like average in difficulty. Mm-hmm. So no matter how strong you are, you're always going to have the same experience fighting every single creature. About one of the, one of the really fun parts, not just about games, but just about acquiring an expertise in general is coming back to something that was hard. A while yeah. ago, yeah, and just just crushing, it. Just crushing. Yeah. whether it's like, this is what way, people love about Dark Souls. You yeah, know, whether that, you're playing yeah. an RPG or if it's like an, a genuine skill mastery in the real world. Like I think Adam Adam recently been looking back at uh, rebuilding one of our key pieces of software in the studio, ThinkBot, mm-hmm. and uh, sort of under the previous direction, it was going to be this like big crazy like software project was going to take forever, and then he had this after sort of sitting on it for a while, this sort of insight about how to do it. And it looks like it's going to be way it's, more fun. It's now a much way easier problem, way more fun to do. Yeah, just the whole yeah. thing changes. And so it's like – it's the same thing. It's like when Crash lands when you like you fight a big womp at first and you're like, oh my god. We had, we had someone at the Shenanicon who talked about how it took them – they fought a, a womp lord, which is the very special womp. It's when they were level one. It took them seven days and seven nights to whittle it down to yeah. – <laughs> Of game time, not, of game not time. real yeah. life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they're just – But isn't that probably, a, a 20-minute cycle, isn't it? Or the whole thing I think is 16 minutes? I can't remember. Day night, I can't remember. Something like that. Yeah. So yeah, it's like an hour. An hour of just like fighting this one wampet. Yeah. Um, and you can imagine then, you know, coming back after you're halfway through the bog, like 15 hours deep and just like just crushing one, one shotting that thing. Yeah. And it feels so good because it's a measurement of, of your power. And yeah. so, yeah, I mean, being able to have those in games, I think is, is super important. Yeah. And we did that with uh, the bosses in Crashlands on the harder modes. The bosses scale up with yeah, they, they scale. They, with have a, they have a minimum level. Yeah. So that like they like let's say a boss is level twenty or something like that. So if you're level ten, you're not going to have a chance, mm-hmm. right? Once you get up to level twenty, then you are now sort of at the difficulty level of that boss. And then as you go higher, the boss goes with you, right? right. Because the point of that one was the point of the harder difficulty modes was that those fights should just be really hard. They're just skill based at that point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah so you, you shouldn't be out gearing mm-hmm. those things. But everything else in the world does not scale with you. You yeah. just you know. You get, you get the better stuff, you get the better equipment, you come back and you beat the crap out of it, you know. And that's really what the satisfaction of the the power loop is, you know, the RPG. Yeah, um, I'm really curious how the, how the Fallout thing works. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I'll play it when it comes out, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm going to wait a while actually in this one because I don't want to be there when everyone's it's, there. Well, it sounds like someone described their experience coming out of the vault and they said they walk out of the vault and they're like taking in this vista, which is like the usual opening scene situation. Like, oh my God, everything's broken. And then someone appears next to them 
and then started trying to punch them. Skull Crusher four twenty shows up. They could hear him on voice chat. Yeah, like being frustrated that they couldn't figure out how to how to how to punch kill this person. And then they were like, "Fuck this game," and they run off. <laughs> like that's your ending. Yeah. You imagine, know? yeah, imagine that being your opening experience. And, and I think I've talked I've talked about the podcast before. Still, one of my favorite yeah. game experiences was for the first time playing a Fallout game, Fallout Three, yeah, and leaving the vault because you spend like the first probably like twenty minutes or mm-hmm. half an hour or something it's very, in the vault. It's very claustrophobic. Yeah, it's and, claustrophobic. But like you're learning the story, you're kind of figuring out what's going on, and this crazy sequence of sequence of events happens that causes you to have to leave the vault and then you like walk out for the first time right uh and it's just such a good feeling moment mm-hmm. um that i've also talked about how like as soon as you've done that once you actually can't recapture that in another game anyway so it's already it's already kind of gone um but it's still it's it's for the other fallout games it's been like the thing i always look forward to when i start in the vault and then exit and then you're exiting uh-huh. right and then get and, it, uh, get it, this guy. Yeah, the idea of that. Oh, God. <laughs> Fuck this guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That would be so. So, annoying. okay. I, I, I want to know if there's a term for this. Because I feel like this is something that I've seen happen over and over again, which is you'll, there, especially with either, either one game that gets uh, developed over a long period of time, like a game like WoW or EVE Online or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and of course, the design team is, is changing hands regularly throughout this process. The company situation is changing hands. Um, maybe the company gets acquired or, sure. you know, whatever. Um, or you've got, or you got games in long running franchises, you know, like Diab- the Diablo series, 20 years old and, and that kind of stuff. Um, but what, what seems to happen is at, there's some kind of like peak where it's, it's not the first game. The first game is always, you know, it's good. Right. But then at some point the game hits this point where it's like the vision feels like it's fully realized mm-hmm. of what this game is, is you yeah. know like what the soul of that game is and then after that like th- so that that that's the pinnacle mm-hmm. of that game so maybe it's like fallout 3 you know mm-hmm. or whatever um and then after that it seems like the developers are just kind of playing defense mm. like they're trying to address complaints that people have about the game right um trying to make things more convenient trying to like break it into new markets you know like oh Multiplayer fog. Like, that's the next thing. Yeah, well, I, th- I mean, I think what it is is that as a human being, what you, especially, I mean, you, think, you can imagine working on the same product, like the same game, essentially, for like 10 years. Yeah. Um, I think the reality is you're, you're going to start looking further and further afield from what the game is in order to feel like you're changing it. Because that's like the, the feeling of having a, a dynamic impact on the thing you're working on is, is pretty key to like feeling like you're just making an impact generally, I feel like. So, so I could totally see how if you're just working on the same thing for a while, at some point, like the these really small changes that get brought up that at first may have like five years ago may have seemed like a stupid thing to do, uh, might just sort of be exactly the thing you want to do because they they will change the game, which is actually what you're looking for at that point. Less so, less so to bring it in line with something, and more to change it if that makes sense, or to shift right. sort of what you see generally is like a, it's a slow shift in the vision of what the game is supposed to be away from that whatever that pinnacle thing was and i think the thing is that you but, there are there are other but i, I, I mean know. i always find it interesting that that's the goal you know in, in the sense that instead of really taking a, a deep dive into saying like okay what is it that people truly love about this game mm-hmm. and how do we do that more. better more and yeah. better right. you know um and and also recognizing that that a lot of the things that people complain about so you know we talked about like the the two-hour work week right which is like the idea that, you know, in an average week, maybe a person's only getting like two hours of right. real work done. Right. So we might as well cut out the other 38. Um, but without 
and you know sleep was the same thing like oh you only need maybe a little bit of REM sleep and so maybe if you just stop sleeping so much you'd still be fine mm-hmm. without realizing that actually those things all live in context yes. right and so maybe the other 38 hours of work is what lets the 2 hours happen right mm-hmm. and i think the same thing is true about games because you can't you can't just like grab a, a little piece of the game and be like this is the part that people like and then yeah. ignore it in the context and so what I what I feel like happens in the long term with game franchises is people as, as designers, they look at player complaints. So things like, oh, somebody keeps stealing all my shit in Diablo 2, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And they come in and they try to address complaints. So they, they end up kind of like they go on the back foot. They're out. They're playing defensive. Oh, you're saying. They go to address complaints without realizing that those things that people kind of don't like about the game are also what allows certain mechanics to exist that right, exactly. are then actually super important. Yeah. Well, I, I know I personally hated, or at least thought I hated, you know, growing up the, that I had to fight people for loot in, in Diablo 2. Mm-hmm. And when Diablo 3 came out and they were like, oh yeah, we're doing this, you know, this uh, instance loot thing. I was so excited. Yeah. And, and actually I enjoyed it all the way through. I was always, I was always so happy that I didn't have to fight people for loot. Like that part of the puzzle was just gone. You know? Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until, you know, in retrospect, looking back that I was like, that actually took away some that other social component of the game yeah. Um, yeah. so that so that, but I, but I wasn't aware cuz I was just so happy that I didn't have to deal with that that the that the less visible thing you know like a like a social you didn't aspect that you just were playing by yourself now the exactly. whole time yeah. it, it actually <laughs> and it and it hides these other things it, it hides yeah so so anything that you could actually just do in a game that has sort of spillover effects on player behavior is then something you have to be very careful about because you can make a visible change to the game that has all these hidden effects that people aren't aware of. People are aware of the change, but not aware necessarily of the behavioral change that it causes in them. Yeah. And so you end up with this really bad miswanting situation where like, I thought that I wanted to not have shared loot, which is actually still like, if I was playing with randos, that would still be true. Well, it's actually, it becomes one of those things where where you're instead of just talking about the shared loot, you have to talk about the other part too, which is that, which is that, okay, if you don't want shared loot, do you also not want to socialize while you're playing this game? Yep. Cause that's literally, those are the two sides of that coin. Yeah. Right. And so I think I want it to that's not the second you're, step. Yeah, you're saying like, I want it to not matter that other people are there. Yeah. Yes. And if that's true, then you are now by yourself. You're yep. now, even though other people are there, you're alone. Yeah. Right. You're all alone together. Yeah. But it's playing a single player game with, and there's like other quote players around that might as well just be bots. Cause right. yeah. what, an, and I've never played Diablo three with anybody, but my wife and like a, a friend mm-hmm. or two. Right. Um, so I've never played with randos. My wife for a while was playing with randos because she was, she was, Less bored with the game than I was. She wanted to keep playing it, and I was like, I can't. So, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> God, to with yeah. And uh, but that the experience that she had was basically the the exact necessary consequence of this was she would go into a game with other players. Everyone split off and go do their own yep. thing. Nobody talks. Um, yep. Nobody's talking. Uh, nobody will help each other because there's no benefit to doing that. Um, everybody has, has their own set of missions that they're trying to accomplish, and there's just no reason to help each other. Yep. And. Uh, and then yeah, and, and, and actually, and like all of the quote bad parts of the game that people were complaining about were the things that necessitated social interaction. Yeah, you know, and so mm-hmm. there, yeah, there's a strong sense of that miswanting. And I even think about things like you know when I'm when I'm playing this uh, vanilla WoW version, um, it in the modern game uh, when when there are quest givers, they have an exclamation mark on the map. So you're like, mm. oh, where's the quest? And you're just like, there it is, right? Um, they didn't used to have that. And so if you wanted to get a quest, you had Maybe to find use your somebody. fucking eyeballs and uh, look around <laughs> town and walk around and explore the space, you know? Interesting. And even things like maybe there's a wanted poster tacked on the wall and it's not obvious. Like it's it's kind of blends in with the wall a little bit. 
and you mouse over it and it's like wanted you're like what and you go and you click on it it's like oh shit there's a quest with a whole mm-hmm. bunch of money on it right mm-hmm. and if you weren't like paying attention you wouldn't see it and the developers at the time were like that's fine yeah it's fine they reward you, you know? for yep. being present yeah that's and, it. and so and of course nowadays the, the thing has a big ass glowing exclamation mark over it and it's on your map and there's like it basically has like a beacon you uh-huh. know saying you know click on this thing right um because because now the philosophy is we don't want to put development resources into a quest that not very many people are going to do right and so mm. um so that right. so these, these kinds of philosophies over time not they, recognizing that of course the, the fact that most people won't do it is what makes it special is what makes it special and yeah. then also the fact that you have to look at you've looked yeah. for it and then it's become a permeating design point yeah, and think about the social implications as well which is if you say like oh like i'm heading over to i'm finally hit like maybe you're in guild chat and you're like oh i'm so excited i'm gonna go to this new town i'm going to ratchet and then somebody's like by the way keep an eye out because next to the bank there's a wanted poster there be sure yep. to check that out right so like other people now Hidden share knowledge. tips yeah. yeah about like how to navigate the game better one of my favorite things you know? from playing uh vanilla wow back in the day uh was quest sharing because yeah. you just show up and like usually if you group with somebody, you'd be like, oh, like we should share we should share quests real quick because you actually usually wouldn't know. Because you would miss a lot of them. Yeah, you miss a lot. Because they're everywhere. Yeah. It's, it's also they're a not social obvious. thing. And sometimes you get one, you'd be like, where the, where did you get this? Because I have to go turn yeah. this in now. And then they'd have, have no to explain idea. it to you or they'd be like, oh, come with me. And then you would travel together yeah. to go turn the quest yeah. in after yeah. you did it. You know. So all these things, all these things are people are things that people complained about. Mm-hmm. And they were they've all been quote fixed uh, since then. And uh, the game is is the modern version of the game is really suffering in terms of subscriber numbers yeah. and everything. And they've actually stopped announcing subscriber numbers because they just kept going down and they yeah. uh, they just didn't want to deal with that, you know, uh, public uh, PR problem. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, so there's a whole bunch of interesting stuff with all that. But anyways, so, yeah, Fallout 76. I don't know. We'll see. My bet is that this is that same kind of a thing, which is Fallout 3 had this vision mm-hmm. of what like what this series could really be. I enjoyed 4. Um, it was good. Yeah, 4 was great. Yeah. I was, well, no. New, I, so I love New Vegas. 4, they added a whole bunch of these sort of – Exactly. 4 was the weird one. Yeah, yeah. They, they added these kinds of mechanics of trying to – This is why I'm saying. Yeah. They're trying to easier. smooth out the experience yeah. and it just makes it worse, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so – my, my assumption is based on what I've seen in just about every other game franchise and everything else is that in the long term, fixing the problems of the game actually like, kills the spirit. Yeah, so it would actually probably be better if Fallout 76 was more like Rust, you know, in the sense that they just went that direction. Yeah, well, no, in the sense, no, <laughs> the sense that game, you mean. in the sense that it's uh, everyone's fighting for the same loot, you know, and because like the thing is like, oh, right. Yeah, because the weird part, too, is and again, I don't, I don't know enough about how they actually set up Fallout 76. My understanding is everybody starts as a vault dweller, right? Yep. So you come out of a vault, come out of the same vault, uh, which is super nonsensical for like what the game is, because the game is all about you basically competing with uh, with the hordes of, of various kinds of bandits and stuff that are out in the in the wasteland. Right. And there's only one of you and a jillion of them. Like that's kind of the whole premise. Um, but to have it still be the case that like you're the hero on a hero's journey along with all these other heroes and you're all you're all heroes now, right? The hero vibes. And, uh, <laughs> and now you're all fighting each other. You're all the only one last hope. Yeah. And every single and, one of you. And you're all fighting each other for loot out the world. Uh, and, you're, and you're, of course, still presumably fighting bandits and monsters and stuff. But 
but it seems like there was a good, there's a real interesting opportunity there for you to like choose a faction, you know, when you come in where, and, and again, maybe they did this. Maybe I don't think will. they did. Oh, yeah. Or maybe know. you choose a vault, you know, and like that's your starting location. That's yeah. your tribe, you know. Yeah. Or maybe, and maybe, maybe you do. Maybe there's some of that in there. Because, yeah, they could have done shit know. like – because all these vaults have different experiments going on, right? It's so like yep. maybe you could have chosen which vault you're coming out of and like that bestows some like weird genetic yeah, mutation yeah, exactly. on yeah. you or something. Like, oh, you got like weird – you got like one weird beef of your arm. Right. Like, so that's actually <laughs> – That's <laughs> your thing. So that could become kind of a class-based thing yeah. of some sort or – yeah. Yeah. But, have, yeah, having those decisions actually matter and take into account making the player – not feel like the one hero, but making them feel like their decisions somehow make them unique in the context of other players. Yeah. You know, those are the kinds of things that really matter. And even, even thinking back on something like Diablo 2, the fact that you roll a character, make decisions about your abilities, and those were irrevocable. Yeah. Like you would, you'd be like, oh, I'm going to be a, like a blizzard uh, sorcerer or whatever. And that's who you are now. Yep, can't get those points back. And sometimes that is not great, and sometimes it's really great, yep. right? And like, and so because you're now locked into that, then there are scenarios where you really need somebody else to come in and help you because you're like, yeah, these my my fireballs suck. They literally do them. no damage against. Nah, them. I'm yeah. literally they're completely immune to my damage, and I can offer nothing <laughs> to help in this scenario. Can you carry me through this? And someone's like, sure, no problem, right? Because they know that it'll might come back yep. to them, right? Um, yeah, so. Those I think those things matter, but we'll we'll see. I guess if this if this has it. So, yep. Uh, anyways, all right. Last news item: elections coming up in the United States. Yeah, go vote. Go do the vote. Go vote. It's going to come out before the next podcast episode. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to come out. The elections launching. Yeah, yeah. Uh, election <laughs> launch. Election <laughs> launch. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, go vote. Participate in our democracy. Learn shit about the world, and then you know vote about it. Yep. The mm-hmm. end. All right, let's get on to some questions. These questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscatch.net. So if you'd like to get your question on a future episode, get over there, put your question in the text box, and then submit it mm, yeah. to us. First question comes from Retro Banana Man NL. Uh, are any of you going to join NaNoWriMo this year? Oh, no. That's National Novel Writing Month. It's November. It's when you write a novel. Yep. Yep. We've, we've put a channel on the Discord before. It's still there, I think. Is it still there? We turned it it's into just the a writing, writing channel. channel. I was right yeah. now. So if you're doing it, you can hop on the writing channel with other people who are doing it. Yeah, and chat. Uh, I wouldn't be doing it this year. I, I actually started taking two online art classes that have been kicking my ass. Seven ways to Sunday, as they say. Yeah. yeah. I don't what know does what that, that even means. mean? Yeah. I, I don't know. I, you know? No, I'm I think it, it means like every day you're getting your ass kicked differently for a whole week until the next Until the next cycle. Around. That's yeah. basically what it feels like. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I won't be doing that this year. I'm uh I'm still debating um mostly because I've enjoyed Anarimo the most when I was doing it with other people. Yes. Uh and, and of course it's a solo activity, but just like knowing other people are out there doing it. We had our spreadsheet where we were comparing yeah. numbers. And there's something about just like having a full work day and then going home and then just and then just being like I guess I, gotta, I need to do. I got to write now. Yeah. I guess, but like, but nobody else is doing it. Okay, you know what? This good. comes right back to this. You know, this multiplayer experience versus your actions mattering. Yeah. What if? What if we did a sequential nano remo where we did it in a rotation? Okay, mm-hmm. where everybody just writes like five hundred words, and then it's your turn, right? So like, somebody write five hundred words, somebody else writes five hundred. Maybe you got like four people or something, and you go, you're on a rotation. So by the time you write your 500 words, there's 2,000 words that have been already written. Oh, you're saying on the same project. On the same project. <laughs> so it's clearly not a thing you're intending to like do something with because it's going to be pure chaos in there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
especially if Seth's involved. Yeah, so yeah, you'd read it and you'd be like, "How can I? What can I? Add? What can I do to this?" <laughs> it basically becomes a Mad Lib game. It's like an point. improv. Yeah, yeah. But, but if you're if you if you have a long enough cycle, if it, if you're writing like a thousand words or something, I feel like that's enough that you can't just take the story in a dumb direction right away because now you got to live with that decision for the next nine hundred words and figure out well, how you're going to make and it. And it's going to come back on you in a little while. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you you really got to yes and this thing. I think that would be very amusing. To it do. would be pretty fun. I think uh, yeah, I if, would I would be willing to do it in that scenario. <laughs> if someone hasn't done it before, I highly suggest it. It's just yeah. it's one of those things where it's it it challenges your creative output. And then once you're done, it's kind of doing a game jam basically, but you know, longer essentially. Yeah. Uh, but once you're done, like a game slam. Yeah. You once know. you're done and you complete this thing, it's one of those, it's one of those revelations where you frequently will just turn back to yourself and you're like, holy shit, I just wrote 50,000 words in a month, which means, what does that mean? Right. That means that you could do that. Yeah. So uh, if anyone hasn't done it before, I, I'd say definitely take the challenge. And, and yeah, I've only done it a full, the full time once in 2012. Mm-hmm. And but it was a great experience. I had a great time. And looking back on it afterwards, always felt super good. Yeah. Yeah. I did it halfway last year. Yeah. In the first four days, I wrote like 24,000 words. Yeah. You were trying to get it all done in one go. Yeah. And then I was like, I, yeah. believe, you, <laughs> I believe you experienced what's called burnout traditionally. <laughs> um, yeah. But also, yeah. Also, I just, uh, my story, I wasn't really in, into the story that I was writing. That's, yeah. You know? You probably wrote it too fast. You know? I wrote it too fast. Yeah. I think that's the problem. I think the first <laughs> day I wrote at least 10,000 words. I'm pretty sure. Remember yeah. you report, you reported your numbers and each day it like halved. The yeah. first day was like 12,000 and it was it's like, like 6,000. Six, and, like, and then you're like, I'm struggling. I can't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's also the case that the momentum slows down because, at, you know, it's just like we talk about with working on a video game, yeah. which is at the beginning Anything goes. Yep. Right? Like, yep. you can take the story any direction you want, and it's fine. But over time, you got to start living with those decisions that yeah. you made in the past. Yeah. Because every every new sentence you write is a constraint on future sentences. Yeah. It has to take all the preceding story into mm-hmm. account. And then, you know, you've also got now, like, you got to start keeping track of, like, okay, what's the personality of this character like? And would this be yeah. something that they would yeah, say? The or rolling consequences. Yeah. Well, and so, so every, every – subsequent sentence has more and more decision burden placed mm-hmm. on onto it. So I was tracking my time. And I think the first like 10,000 words, um, I was still writing at a good, like 50 to 60 words per minute. And normally I type about 110. So that's kind of like about half my time was spent right. thinking and half my time was spent typing. By the time I got to that, that tail end, like the last thousand words I wrote, I was writing at like 15 words per minute. Yep. You know, it's like, it's a lot to do. Yeah, like 80% of my time, I was just kind of thinking and staring, which I think is, that's the whole point of NaNoWriMo is to get you to stop doing that. Yeah. Probably to like, to just write more, but I don't know. I don't know. It was hard. It's very hard. <laughs> if you can do it, props to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's worth doing. Yeah. Uh, next question comes from French Toast Mafia, who says, love the cast and have listened to every one of them since Touch Arcade turned me to it. Do you find any other industries to provide helpful analogies to solve game dev specific problems? Yeah, mm. uh, I found that my my life in science. Yeah, you just had this like, revelation. What like as crazy parallel? It hasn't been super helpful exactly, but it's been interesting just how I think every every discipline it spills always over. But they're all they're all about the this, uh, the science one from it's like last week. Yeah, you I was talking with a friend. Yeah, I was talking to the a guy who's a postdoc in my lab um, back when I was in grad school who has his own lab now, um, and we were just kind of getting caught up, and we we were just talking about how in how many ways. Uh, being an academic scientist is basically the same as as 
running a small business in the game in the games industry uh because in in science you basically you basically have to convince somebody to give you a bunch of money right mm-hmm. and you do this by doing a bunch of research and whatever and, and running up a thing and then mostly though it's through getting the right contacts with people so you can get the right yep. you know the right names behind you and there's no such thing as a true merit based no anything no. and then everything hinges on uh your ability to every few years get a large grant to fund your lab for the next three to five years. Sort of a game launch. Sort of a game launch situation. Mm -hmm. And if you don't get that, then now you got to start firing people and Mm -hmm. now your, now your lab is in trouble and you might end up in a negative feedback loop that you can't recover from. And so at any given moment, if you miss one of those windows, now you're toast. But also when it comes to to research papers, which is sort of the currency that you use in, uh, in academia, uh, that also is like a, a, a launch, right? It's in the product that you put out. And and just like in, in the games industry, where when you launch your game, you're competing now with thousands of other games. Uh, all, the, all the games that have ever been launched, plus the ones that are launched on that deck. Right, on that there's day. only so much grant money to go around. There's only yep. well, there's so much journal space to go so around. Yeah, it's, it's actually it's, – there's only so much human attention to go around. Yep. This is the problem. So it's actually the, the discoverability problem that we have in games. Because as a, as a scientist, if you write an incredible – this is what we are. We're talking about this in games. If you make an incredible game and nobody plays it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't you matter. matter. You know, and, same thing. And so you have gatekeepers in, uh, in science who are the, the editors of the big journals. So, they're, they're, so in biology, there are a handful of journals. They're called Cell, uh, Nature, and Science. They sort of like really kind of mm-hmm. made those very generic yeah. <laughs> names for things. Um, but those are kind of the big three that – that if you can get public, if you can get your publication into those, it's sort of like a, it's a mark of approval, right? Which is exactly what happens if you launch a game and it gets on the front page of iTunes or yep. Steam, right? And if you get it there, then people will trust it and like and go into it, even just like despite actually the content of the thing, because they're just looking for that seal of approval. Right. And a huge fraction of people will not look any deeper than that. They will only look at basically the front page of of the of the science industry. You're saying right? pro- even professional scientists. Yep, are approaching their research the same way that somebody finds Candy Crush. Yeah, on the App Store because yep. there's not enough attention. You don't have enough yeah. time. Yeah, you got you got to use all there. these you got to use all these random uh, proxies and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep, and then it's a, it's a little bit better there because at least those papers cite other papers. So if you're not gonna if you're gonna do the full research, then then you can like start going through the Deep network through, and things, yeah. right? But all of those are also hugely biased towards those same journals, right? right. And so and your starting point is always that casual. Yep. Seal of approval metric. And and it has so. to be because how else would you find stuff, right? Unless unless you're following other, you know, the handful of other scientists you've heard of that are in your field, they're doing stuff that's related mm-hmm. to what you're doing. But the main way you're going to hear about those is either by going to a conference and like seeing them there, right? If it's a small conference about the thing that you're interested in, uh, or again, by seeing them in the journals that you read, which are, you only have so much time. Um, there are thousands and thousands of papers that come out every day. And so it's the same deal. You got to, yep. it's a discoverability problem. Um, and then you got to use those to, to leverage the ability to secure funding, you know, right. for, for the next thing. And so it's all this positive feedback loop, which is most, mostly comes down to, uh, your, your sort of legacy in terms of how you got where you are. So who knows you and who got you there, um, who the people, like what all the names are associated with you, what, what success you've had in the past and so on. And probably how long you've been around and how long, how long you've survived because that's yep. essentially also a good proxy for the depth of your network at that point. Well, well people think that it is. Well, yeah, it's a good proxy for the depth of your network. Yeah, exactly. Which is but it's actually power. not a good proxy for anything else because yes. of the fact that your ability to survive is a positive feedback loop. Mm-hmm. And so you don't you don't survive for 10 years instead of five because you were better. You survived 
because you survived, right? Yeah. And that's that's the end of the reason, right? And uh, and and the, the people and are if you just survive because you didn't survive, yeah. And people are just as sort of oblivious to this in academic science, and of course not everybody, but mm-hmm. but right. on the whole, people are just as oblivious to this sort of way of thinking as people are in the games industry or any entertainment industry um, of how much of just just how much of this is is just a probability game. And, and a discoverability problem and how little of it has to do with how good of a product you make. Mm-hmm. And sort of on the other side of that is also just like in uh, in the games industry where most things that are made are not very good and people are – and the people making them are somehow not aware of this. It's the same deal in science. You know, Most same of the stuff everything. being published is not very good yeah. in, in science. Most of it's not as likely to be – I mean almost all of it is likely to be false anyway. Yeah. Um, but – most of it is actually likely to be false because it was done badly. Not because even if it was done well, it's also likely to be false. Oh my God, Sam, you're ruining everything. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's, uh, it's, and, and yeah, so it's, it's the same deal in both those. Like people are just unaware of how much of the problem really just is a discoverability problem. Mm-hmm. And it's just the same. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably the same. And so, so I told I think this. It's every uh, industry is well, the same. I think it is, but I think, I think this whole, uh, this whole launch-based thing that we do, yes. um, I think any industry that has that sort of a underlying mechanism, structure, yeah, yeah, then sort of necessarily has to be the same because because now you don't get to sort of like incrementally get better, incrementally improve your product, incrementally incrementally decrease your costs or whatever. You basically have these giant moments where you roll the dice real hard yep. on something you've invested a lot of money into and a lot of time into, and uh, and then you just have to hope for the best, yeah, and. And I think, and most of the small things that you do in the meantime don't really change much. Yeah, or if they do, it's things. basically it's like a chaos theory approach. Right? It's right. like it's like you meet the right person at some point, or you yep. do the right thing at some point, and then you know five years later, all of a sudden that has an enormous payoff. That was what we, we've talked about with people on the. I, mean, we, I think we talked about this last week at the podcast. Yeah, just this idea of what networking is for, and the reality is that if you don't plan to be around for three to five years, then it doesn't matter anymore because. Yeah. Most of the connections do not pay off it's at all. It's chaos. There. And the best ones tend to pay off in three to five years. Well, and, and there's an incredible amount of churn. You know, what, mm-hmm. we, what we found, uh, this, may, this may be true in science. I don't know. But uh, that it's it's a little stickier, but mo- people actually fall out. Actually, yeah, no, it's probably about the same. Yeah, people fall out really fast in yeah, science. Or, or at the very least, people will, will drop out of one studio and move to another. Or maybe you have a contact at some press outlet. And then they moved to another yeah, one. By the yeah. time you finish your next game, you send it to their their work email, and it's gone. Yeah. Right? It's definitely more stable moved. in academia because, like, you know, academia is sort of historically like people yeah. just stay in the same job for like a jillion years, you know. Yeah. Um, so there's less of that, but but still some. I do wish. I mean, it's, um, we've talked about this a little bit before, but um, the fact that because my all of my jobs prior to working in games were also just really small, like web outfits and stuff like that. So. I actually didn't get any any of the industry experience in in other industries, whether it was IT or like a logging company or logistics company. So I don't have the the sort of well of knowledge on on some of these other industries that I really wish I had to be able to do some of these these cross results. Um, and Seth, you talked a little bit about your experiences, even just working at a Stadium before, in terms of like how to think about people and, and management, all this other stuff. And uh, I think having a breadth of experience before you start your own thing is really nice because it lets you see the pattern before you get maybe entrenched in it. Yeah. I think it's just true in general that the, the more, the more depth and diversity of experiences that you have just in life period, the better served you're going to be. Yeah. Then the more you'll be able to get out of it. As long as you're thinking the whole time. That was a a Freakonomics. They've had a two, a two part episode about creativity 
uh, over the past couple of weeks. And they've been talking about um, how what are, like one of the biggest determining factors uh, of trying to like measure how creative somebody is comes from their diversity of life experiences. Yep. Right. So uh, if you like if you grow up in the same place and then you just live in the same place and you go into the exact same field as your as your parents did and and you just kind of like just go by the book on everything and you don't have any major hobbies and you don't like travel and you don't do anything outside of just like your one core thing. Um, then you have a very hard time with lateral thinking and solving problems in interesting ways. Well, yeah, that you got no ammo, about. right? You got nothing yeah. to pull from. And I was even just thinking about, like, I just had a conversation with Sam yesterday. I was like, you know, as I was learning uh, piano, <clears throat> one of the things that kept coming up over and over again is that there's a really hard mm-hmm. uh, song to play it at half speed and then you speed it up, right? So, like, if once you can play it at half speed, then you go up to 60% speed and then you try to master that and then you keep going and then pretty soon you're you're playing it at full speed and it sounds awesome, right? Um, and this is a common practice among even really, really experienced musicians who you, you hear them playing like, oh my God, they, they did it perfectly. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, it's because they started at half speed, right? Um, and so I was, and I was thinking about that then in context with uh, with Levelhead. Yeah. Because I've been working on uh, putting together this, this toolkit. We call it cheese mode, which is to allow you to uh we call it cheesing the level Mm -hmm. where you can place your character anywhere you want when you're building your level and then also apply several sort of extra parameters so you can kind of like give yourself whatever power up you want maybe like even make yourself invincible so that Mm -hmm. you can just test certain switches yeah mechanical parts of your level without having to worry about fighting things of course if you beat the level in cheese mode that doesn't count as a legitimate win it's just for sort of experimenting and stuff I was like, what if you wanted to make a really, really hard level uh, and then you could cheese it at half speed, yeah. right? So you could turn the, the game speed down. During your during development. Yeah, while you're building it. Yeah. Um, and then so you could you could like practice the level at half speed and then like practice Slowly it again. Ramp yeah, so ramp it up. Because I was thinking about that one guy who spent 2,000 hours uh, in Mario Maker trying to beat his one level uh-huh. that he knows is possible because he has done this like debug – thing where he's like placed himself at various points he's played the whole thing in chunks he's played the whole thing in chunks yeah and so it's like well what if he could slow it down Mm -hmm. and try to beat all right if he can beat it half speed it's like okay speed up a little bit you know and then he can find eat more easily like take the time to find those spots where the precision has to be just so you Mm -hmm. know um and really practice those spots and stuff like that and so this comes from Playing the fact piano. that I was playing piano, you know, that uh, that now this is a, a possible thing that we may experiment with and see about putting that into the game. It would not have occurred to me in other scenarios. Right. Um, yeah. So I think I think the long and short of it is that is that everything relates 100 percent to everything else. Correct. Just in in all possible ways. Yeah. At minimum, it just changes your brain in some way. And now the next time you solve a problem, you solve it a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Even if there's not an obvious relationship between the, yeah. the two things. And so, you know, if you're a programmer, you know, pick up a paintbrush. Do NaNoWriMo. Do NaNoWriMo. Yeah. Do what, whatever it is that you do, do something else for a while yeah. and just kind of, <laughs> it, yeah, it'll forge new neural connections that you didn't know you, you could even have. So, all right. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. We'd like to thank our producer, Fat Bard, for making us sound good. Thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. If you'd like to get more involved in the Butterscotch community, you can hop into our Discord server at discord.gg slash bscotch and come say hello. It's getting pretty it's getting pretty hopping in there. Mm-hmm. We're like a consistent 400-something active people. Yep. So there's a crowd. Yeah, we're breaking out into more channels to kind of keep the chaos down, you know. But uh, 
when Nullhead launches, I don't know gonna be what bad. we're going to do about That'll that. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out or not. You know, those, yep. are, those are the two possible outcomes. Yep. Uh, also, if you'd like to adorn your body with butterscotch merch, you can check out our shop over at shop.bscotch.net. Uh, or if you'd like to send us something, we have a mailbox, which you can find the address for over at mailbox.bscotch.net. Uh, last but not least, if you would like to buy some coffee for butterscotch, you can do so over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.